0: This week, scrapped the lot and written it again, and finally, I came to peace with what I felt God was asking me to share today. So today's sermon is called Course Corrections, and you know what? I love it when God starts to speak in a way that kind of affirms that which you've got in your heart. And Dave's word, and Nita's word, and and Liz's word all kind of lean into that which I want to share today, and I want to start by sharing with you a word that came out of last Sunday's corporate prayer meeting. Guys, get along to this prayer meeting. They are awesome. God is really doing some stuff. Speaking in a powerful, powerful way. And you know what? The best bit about Sunday for me was the times where we just sat in silence in the presence of God. Man, I was just blown away. This is what he said. Pioneers set out into the unknown discovering things not seen before before, or known before, and they have to make course corrections to maneuver around, over, under obstacles on their path. So it will be with us as we pioneer in the Lord, get ready for the course corrections and do not fear them. Can you say amen to that? I believe that when we set out on a journey, any journey in God, in fact, that there are times where we come up against obstacles, where we are called to either go through them or to manoeuvre around or over or under, as the Lord commands. And I believe that us as a church right now, are being presented. I mean, you only have to look back at our sermons over the last six months or so, and there's this theme building, which is an invitation from God into something new, into something powerful that doesn't resemble anything that we've seen before and requires us to go on a course correction to get to. Now, we've all got sat-navs, Right? Right? or a phone with the sat nav app when we set off on a journey in our car we're pretty sure where we want to go right <laughs> ernie might not be i know he drifts around all over the place when he's in his car but anyway most people when they get in a car they know roughly where they want to go and if we're a little unsure our sat nav kind of gives us a bit of a prompt in the right direction but you know what God doesn't work like that half of the time with individuals. In fact, Hebrews eight sorry, Hebrews eleven verses eight to ten By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You see, for us on our Christian walk, God oftentimes doesn't show us the destination. He just declares that he's going to go with us in the journey. And you know what? I love walking with God in the journey because I have got the most powerful being in the universe walking alongside me, within me, empowering me within the journey that he calls us to go on. And you know what? As a church, I still don't think we know where we're going, but I can tell you it's towards Christ and it's towards Christ-likeness. And in your individual life and in your individual call, God has promised that he's going to be with you in the journey. And he promises that in the journey, he will transform you into the image of his son. Romans 8, we are called to be conformed to the image of his son. And you know what? By the time we finish this life and move into next, Philippians 1.6 is going to be accomplished. He who started a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can we say amen? Amen. So we're all in this journey. We're all destined to be conformed to the image of Christ. But we don't know 10 steps ahead. We only know that which God calls us to now. In effect, we're called to a long obedience in the same direction, towards Christ. That's what the Christian life is. It's a long obedience in the direction of Christ. And you know, on the way to Christ-likeness, we experience the kingdom of God. We experience the life eternal, which earmarks the kingdom of God. And we undergo course corrections as we encounter obstacles on our journey. So back to this metaphor of the car journey. Would you ever expect to go out in a car and never turn left or right? No? It would be a pretty hair-raising journey if you never turned left or right. Here's a junction. Crash. I wouldn't want to be a passenger in that car. We turn left and right. We zigzag, if you will, towards our destination. And in the spiritual life, we zigzag in our life towards Christ, Christ Christ-likeness. I want to give you an example of a huge course correction for the early church. Acts chapter 10. So if you've got your apps or your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10. Somehow I've just managed to crash mine. That's great, eh? There we go now. I've got one. I've come there again. It's all right. It's all right. We're back. Acts chapter 10. I lost the nav. That's what it was. We've got it. We've got it. So this is the story of Peter and Cornelius. And I want to start with Peter's vision. So verse 9, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up onto the housetop to pray at about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet, bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up to heaven again. We're going to go forward now to verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked them, for what reason have you sent? Okay, and then we go on in the story. And for the sake of brevity, we know that they get filled with the Holy Spirit. They come to saving knowledge of Christ and are baptized. Hallelujah. But I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes for a minute. Here he is. The Jesus event has just taken place. So he's walked three years with the Son of God. He sees the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ. He himself is still a Jew. He hasn't lost all of his tradition. He hasn't had it cut off in some way so that it's You know, uh, forgotten. No. So he still adheres to that which he's always known, right? And here's the course correction. All of a sudden, in the light of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, circumcision means nothing. Hang on a minute. This was the marker of a covenant with God. This was the external sign that we are the people of God. And all of a sudden to the early church, it means nothing. Purity codes meant nothing anymore. The works of the law meant nothing anymore. Justification is now by faith. Dietary restrictions mean nothing anymore. And who they previously saw as enemies of God who were outside of the covenants and the promises. These Gentiles, (laughs) they're now being embraced by God. They're now being brought near by the blood of Christ. They're now being justified by faith alone. And included in what God is doing and what God has now promised. What a course correction. Have you... Just think about it for a moment. Peter's world just got completely turned upside down. All of his theology, all of the ways that he is related to God, all of his thoughts about God have in one moment just been completely changed. And he's been forced to change direction and the course of his life by the saving and the redeeming grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think the same needs to happen to us. <laughs> the first moment that we encounter Christ is almost the same thing that happens in us. We are born again of his spirit. And all of a sudden, we're a new creation. All things that have passed away and behold, all things have become new. Boom! Course correction. But that's the first of what should be many. The first of what should be Many. And you know what? Even after Peter had encountered God in a vision where he said, do not call common what I have cleansed. We find out later in Scripture, Galatians 2 verses 11 onwards that Paul withstood Peter to his face because he'd gone back into separating himself himself from the Gentile believers and negating, therefore, the grace of God. I want you to read it with me. Go to Galatians chapter 2. You'll see Paul's rebuke of Peter, another great course correction. Galatians chapter 2, from verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. I'm grateful for those that withstand me to my face when I am to be blamed. The faithful brothers and sisters... For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not, of, not as the Jews... Why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified." But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live unto God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I am now, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Boom! Another course correction for Peter. Another course correction for Peter. no return to the law, justification not by our works, but by faith alone. Jesus alone is sufficient, love alone is credible. So God's course corrections for our lives, you know, they often come two ways I've found. Either we respond to the invitations of God into course correction or we encounter some doubt-filled crisis that forces us into course correction. I believe God uses both. I believe sometimes it's a God intervention when you face a crisis by which you see yourself by way of revelation for who you really are and come out of that into the fullness of what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal. You know what? When God holds that mirror up, it's the grace of God. Both the fall and the recovery from the fall. Both are the mercy of God. You know, I've had that mirror held up. You know, when Have you? Have you had it so that you're face to face with that mirror and you see the ugliness of what it is that you've done or been or your attitude or your motivation or whatever. And in that moment you sense the inviting love of God that draws you from that into grace, mercy, truth, reconciliation. Sometimes it comes by way of invitation. God gently invites us. You hear it. It's like a whisper. Come higher. Go deeper. Hold my hand. Will you trust me? Will you walk with me into something new, into something beyond yourself? And sometimes we are just brought to our knees in desperation there's a cry that goes up where we recognize our blindness and cry out for sight. This is what the preaching of the Word is designed to do as well. We're called in 2 Timothy 4.2 to reprove and admonish, to rebuke, which is announcing these life-saving corrections, to exhort, to invite, to implore, to beseech, Because you know what? Sometimes faith demands that we move beyond our certitudes. Those things that we erect as our comforts, be they theological, be they natural, be they spiritual. Into a place where once again in the midst of that uncertainty we trust God in this journey. You know we are called to go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. We are called to change. Ecclesia semper reformata. The church forever reforming. Constantly changing. Constantly growing. Constantly developing. Constantly growing in our knowledge of God. And letting it affect the way that we live, the way that we believe, the way that we act, the way that we love, the way that we are merciful, you name it. I am not the same man I was 10 years ago to the glory of God. You are not the same person you were 10 years ago to the glory of God. If you are, then really, it's time for the mirror. It's time for the mirror. Because our certitude can often cause us to be pulled too far in a direction away from the love of God. Away from God's edicts to love. And that's why we're called to repent. Repent means turn around, change direction, course correct, come. Rethink. And our doubts, they're not antithetical to faith. That's unbelief that's the the opposite. Unbelief says in the midst of those uncertainties that we feel when our ground has been shaken, unbelief says I will not trust in Jesus. Our doubt says, I will hold on to Jesus, I will cling to Jesus in spite of these uncertainties, in spite of this ground that's being shaken, until God brings me into a place of knowing him better. Now, I want you to imagine that you're in a sailboat. So this travelling theme has been going on all day, I'm going to continue with it. God wants to cause you not to hit the rocks. He wants to steer you away from those reefs and rocks where you could end up shipwrecked into clear waters. You know what, when God calls us out of the sin that we're in, it's for that very reason. God course-corrects us because he knows how damaging sin is to our lives, how it shipwrecks our faith, how it causes us to compromise the gospel of Christ, how it causes us to water down that which God has done for us. And instead, it's like the Holy Spirit wants to grab hold of the tiller and yank it just to get you away from those rocks, And his motivation is always to steer you away from those traps and pitfalls. So that you can continue to experience the empowering life of the Spirit of God and his grace. Maybe you've already hit some rocks. Maybe you feel like your life has already been sunk. But we have a Holy Spirit that can raise the dead. Hallelujah. We have a Holy Spirit that can raise the deadness of your shipwreck and bring you somehow back to life and put you somehow back on course. If you'll incline that ear, if you'll listen to his rebuke, listen to his exhortation, come out from under what it is you're under. if you will obediently take hold of his hand and follow him into that unknown, you too will be this pioneer that we received in that prayer meeting on Sunday. Because to be a pioneer, we've got to be prepared to let go of the known. Oh, church. You know, just like Abraham had to get out from his own country you know, that's a metaphor for the known, the easy, the safe, the familiar, the comfortable. Get out from that into something that's far better. I love how Rob has shared several times that when God confronts things in your life, it's not to deny you from something, it's to invite you to something better. Hallelujah. I am confident that God has something better for us than what we're experiencing right now. I am confident that God's model of church that is fit to win this end time harvest is better than what we're experiencing right now. But we cannot stay in our country and be that pioneer something's got to go. Something's got to give. Something's got to be let go of in order to take hold of that which is better. And so the call for us as a church is to courage. Be strong and of a good courage. For I have given you this land. Stop playing it safe. Many people, including me at times, place too much security and comfort in the way we currently do things. We're still encumbered in a paradigm of doing church that was established hundreds of years ago. The whole notice, hymn, word, sandwich has been done for hundreds of years. All around us, society has moved on at a tremendous pace, but we still seem to be stuck in a paradigm of hundreds of years ago. There is something better for us. And I believe it's when the church begins to stop being encumbered by walls and starts to see itself and its ministry outside that we begin to encounter something that will win this generation back with the love of God. And I don't have the how-tos in all of this. That's part of the destination that we haven't received yet. But you know what? His word to us has been, wake up, rise up, gird up, and then go ye. It's still his word for us. Now, some of us are at different phases in this. Some of us, man, we've been awakened. There is now an eternal quality of life on the inside of us, a closeness of the Holy Spirit that we experience on a day to day basis that is an empowering force. There are some of us that in that mode of fellowship with God, we are we're rising up. There's something on the inside of us that's becoming more prophetic, dec- declaring to the powers that be that have kept us asleep, get off. There's some that are now getting their kit on. The armor's coming back on. We're ready to get out there in the battlefield and win souls for Christ. But there are still far too few that have gone ye, that have actually got up with their armour fully on and taken a bold step out of their comfort zones into the power of God that waits us as we minister to those in need. And my call to you today is for courage. Because we don't go alone. The greatest travesty that I see within the Christian life is worship on a Sunday and the feeling of aloneness the rest of the week. As if somehow we've left God within these walls and he has forsaken us. How wrong can you be? Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you is what Dave said today. Are we going to throw out Romans 8? That nothing can separate us from the love of God? Or are we going to start to believe that actually every waking moment and every sleeping moment in our lives, the presence of God is there because he lives inside of us. Not just inside of us, but all around us and inside of you and inside of those out there. They're not awake to it yet because they're still dead in their sins. Yet the Holy Spirit resides, broods over them, waiting for an opportunity by which he can illuminate their hearts by the words that we share. I hope you're getting as stirred up as I am. I can tell you this, God is not going to come and validate and empower the status quo. He's not. If you think that somehow a revived church looks like happy clappy doing the same things with more exuberance, you're wrong. You are so missing it if that's your view of a revived church. He's not going to keep blessing the man-made structures that we erect that keep him at arm's length and cost us nothing in terms of devotion or obedience. I'm going to say that again. He's not going to bless the man-made structures that we erect that keep him at arm's length that cost us next to nothing in terms of devotion and obedience. He's not going to revive the dead horse that we've been flogging for years. He is coming to take over, like he did with Peter, to show him a new and living way. If we will submit to it and stop resisting it, we too will enter that new and living way. And you know what? It may be an old and living way. It may be getting back to the first love that we've lost and faith righteousness that we seem to have forgotten about when we strive to please God. If we'll stop resisting it, we will enter into a Christianity that changes hearts, families, communities in a post-Christian modern world. We will become something fit for the end time harvest. If we don't, we'll continue to peddle a churchianity that may well satisfy the sleeping majority, but challenges, shakes, and transforms nobody into image bearers of Christ. Not on my watch. And I tell you, I for one, I'm not hanging around for the latter. I've done churchianity. I've trod that path. It's fruitless. It's frustrating. It's boring. It lacks any power dimension to it. No, no, no. Three times, no. Come on. Come on. God has turned my water into fine wine. Hallelujah. I ain't drinking water anymore. No. No. He will receive back unto himself the things that were born of him and originated in him. In other words, he's not going to receive the things that are born in our flesh. He's not going to perfect in the flesh the things that were born of his spirit. Spirit initiated, spirit led. Not spirit initiated and man perfected or man made. No. No. hallelujah. I want to finish with this. There is an eternal quality of life. John chapter 17, 1 to 3, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not just measured in number of days. It's measured in quality of life, the eternal quality of life. You have access to eternal life right now. Right now. Right now, you can draw upon the ever-present, manifested God, Jesus Christ, and draw into yourself that river of living water that's meant not just to fill you, but get out! Right now. I have been living these last few weeks, honestly, like God is always there. There has been a a, a switch flipped in my mind somewhere along the way. I can't even remember what day it was. But I have been experiencing for a while now the ever present, manifested presence of God. Just, I don't have to do anything, God just appears. Sometimes I think God just wants to hang out. It's not that he wants to say something. He just wants to hang out. And I'll just be sitting in my chair, or, or I don't know, even just doing... Di- this, this week, I, I built a wardrobe for Joe. There I was, tapping nails into a wardrobe, and the presence of God fell. I was overwhelmed. I just didn't know what to do. I thought, well, what do you want me to do, Lord? And, and, and I got no response. And then I realized he just wanted to hang out while I was doing DIY. this is real. I'm, I'm, this is real. The manifested ever presence of God, where he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I'm, you know, on a bike ride, I'm experiencing the presence of God. I go to the shops, I'm experiencing the presence of God. It's, it's, it feels weird sometimes, but it's real. It's real because he loves me. And it's real because he loves you. And it's real because every moment of every day, he wants to draw you closer to himself so that he can transform you more and more into his image so that you can live a life that will win people. And he just likes hanging out with you. You know, I I love hanging out with my kids. You know, wouldn't it be weird if every time I went to my kids it was because I needed them to do something? That, That would be really weird. In fact, I think it would borderline abusive. I love you, but you've got to do this for me. I love you, but you've got to do this for me. No. Sometimes I just want to be in their presence. I love sitting. You know, when they were younger, not so much now, because, I mean, Ellie's at that age now where she doesn't like this so much. But I used to have one under each arm on the settee, and we used to watch, I don't know, Peppa Pig or whatever was on the telly. I loved it. A child under each arm, close to them their heads were that close to my chest that I swear that they could hear my heart just going dum 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 And you know what that's how I feel with God that when he just comes and sits with me it's like all of a sudden my ears are working spiritually that I'm hearing that heartbeat that I'm getting a sense of this is not just for me this is for you and this is for them some things come alive And it can come alive as much in you as it ever can in me. Nothing special about me, folks. So from John 17, verses 1 to 3, I'm now praying this. John 17, verses 20 onwards. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's my prayer now. So are you, you're up for a course correction. Are you up for being challenged by the Holy Spirit, being led Because if you miss the invitation, the crisis will come. It just will. Because you'll hit those rocks that he wants to steer you away from. Amen. We're going to go into a time of communion. Let it be a time of reflection. For heaven's sake, don't reflect on your own sin. Be aware of God with you and what he wants to say to you. Be aware of what God wants to do on the inside of you. Don't make it about yourselves, okay? Don't. We're here to remember the Lord at his table, what the Lord has done at his table. It's not about you. (laughs) It's just not about you. You have the invitation, but it's all about him. So when we take communion now, and I'm gonna invite dad to come and administer it, let it all be about him. To the glory of God.